and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. As our 2022 race comes to an end over the next few days, it's a great time to reflect upon the upcoming race marked out for us by our Commander-in-Chief Jesus in 2023. Since the Incarnation is at the heart of Christ's mission to redeem His people and renew creation, how does the Incarnation impact our mission as Christ-following men? That is the question we seek to answer in this episode. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 53 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Max Lucado, being the wordsmith that he is, makes the incarnation come alive. He writes, Majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager, She touches the face of the infant God. How long was your journey? This baby overlooked the universe. These robes keeping him warm were the rags of eternity. His golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The Omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created, God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. He came not as a flash of light or as unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype. No party. The first bed for the high king of heaven was not in a palace. It was not even a cradle, but the feeding trough in a filthy stable. Majesty itself visited earth. But there was no royal reception, no cadre of dignitaries, no news camera flashing. The only subjects of this royal king were those with the lowest status on the totem pole, the lowly shepherds. Lucado continues, angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. And had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons? Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. 
He got colds, burped, and had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? The stunning historic event that we've just finished celebrating has enormous implications for our mission as Jesus followers. Let's dig in and look at a few of them. First, the freedom given up by God the Son in the Incarnation is unalterable proof of His love for us. Wise marriage counselors point out to young couples that marriage requires the unceasing relinquishing of personal freedoms. You no longer are free to be romantically involved with any other person on the planet. You no longer are free to do what you want to do on the weekends. Live where you would like to. Spend time the way you used to spend it. Love requires giving up your individual freedom to gain the joyful freedom of being loved by another. Love requires giving up your freedom to please your beloved and to care for her needs. I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you even though it means sacrifice for me. That is what the love bond of marriage is, the denial of my freedom for you. A dear friend who listens to the podcast has for more than 10 years allowed his life to be radically confined, restricted, because he is called to love a wife who has Alzheimer's disease. Most of us cherish our freedom. We love the open road. We want autonomy, independence. We hate the straitjacket of constraints upon our freedom. Yet in love, we give that up for our beloved. The freedom given up by our Lord, the eternal God of the universe, and becoming flesh out of love for us is utterly unfathomable. The infinite God imprisoned himself forever in a six-foot human body. Do you remember seeing the cages that prisoners of war have been kept in? Have you visited a dungeon or prison cell that is eight feet by eight feet? Have you ever tried on a straitjacket or squished into a space so small you can barely breathe? When I was in college, I was wrestling with a 350-pound roommate who got me into a situation where I literally could not move any part of my body at all. It was one of the most humiliating experiences in my life because my freedom was utterly stripped away at such a deep level. The Word became imprisoned in flesh and tabernacled among us. In love, our Lord gave up his freedom for us. In a most radical way, God has adjusted to us in his incarnation and atonement. In Jesus Christ, he became a limited human being, vulnerable to suffering and death. On the cross, he submitted to our condition as sinners and died in our place to forgive us. In the most profound way, God has said to us, in Christ, I will adjust to you. I will change for you. I'll serve you, though it means a sacrifice for me. These are the words from Tim Keller in The Reason for God. Our mission for Christ always begins with and is motivated by our call to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. May contemplating the staggering cost 
to the infinite God of voluntarily giving up his freedom to forever be housed in a human body, set our allegiance to him on fire. May we daily say with Paul, I have become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow, neither a power from on high nor a power from below or anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The second incarnation principle The Incarnation exhibits the most powerful form of leadership. Our job as the spiritual leaders of our homes is not fulfilled simply by teaching our children God's truth or reading them the Bible. Leadership is influence. Informing our kids of God's truth is not enough. We need to win their hearts to embrace God's truth. There is something extremely powerful about Jesus entering our world that turns our hearts to him. As Lucato says, the tongue that called forth the dead was a human one. The hand that touched the leper had dirt under its nails. The feet upon which the woman wept were calloused and dusty. And his tears, oh, don't miss the tears came from a heart as broken as yours or mine has ever been. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. So people came to him. My, how they came to him. They came at night. They touched him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him into their homes and placed their children at his feet. Why? Because he refused to be a statue in a cathedral or a priest in an elevated pulpit. He was touchable, approachable, reachable. There is not a hint of a person who is afraid to draw near to him. The reason I feel so strongly about the power of incarnational leadership, which we just saw in Jesus, is that I experienced this kind of leadership in my own life. When a guy named John Hartsock started Young Life at my high school, going to club at kids' houses, hanging out with friends, laughing at goofy skits, and hearing a few Bible stories would have been great while it lasted, some fun memories of high school. But I could not dismiss those messages so lightly, not only because God's Spirit was working, but because John had won the right to be heard. He had come to my high school. He had come into my world. And that world, especially my senior year of high school, probably an idol, was everything to me. I happened to be president of the student government, and John was coming to my high school football games and basketball games and asking about my SGA activities. No church leader had ever come into my world. Through incarnational ministry, John won my heart, won me to God's truth proclaimed at club, and won me to a fuller commitment to Jesus. As a Young Life leader later myself at Penn State, I used to constantly say, Young Life is not about club on Wednesday night. It is contact work, being at the school for after-school practices and attending games, musicals, and concerts. Last week, I mentioned Wayne Alderson, who was the vice president of operations at Pitron Steel during a time of hostility in his company between labor and management. 
putting the Christian faith to work, Alderson realized that as the top manager on the foundry floor, he needed to be much more intentional about treating the laborers with the dignity that the image bearers of God deserved. I mentioned several ways that he implemented this strategy, but I saved one for this week. Here's the story of this incident. One day, Alderson stopped to watch a chipper. Chippers had one of the hardest jobs in the plant. It was dirty, filthy work, demanding brute strength and endurance. The chipper's tool was a large hammer, like a jackhammer, weighing about 30 pounds, which he used to chip away defects from the large steel castings. Some of the castings weighed up to 300,000 pounds and were the size of a small house. Wayne stopped and shouted up to the man, Hey, Tony, what are you doing? Stifling a curt reply, the man looked at his boss and said simply, Chipping. It looks like hard work. With a weary glance, the chipper said, It is. Alderson said, Let me have a crack at it. And with that, Wayne removed his suit coat, rolled up his sleeves, and climbed onto the casting. He asked for the hammer. As the chipper watched in disbelief, Wayne began furiously working with the hammer. His stamina lasted all of three minutes. Sweating profusely and gasping for breath, he said to the chipper, How much money do they pay you to do this job? The chipper told him, and Wayne breathed a heavy sigh. Shaking his hand, he said, This is tough work. You earn every cent the company pays you. Within five minutes, every man on the foundry floor had heard about the episode. Alderson, by his gesture, had dignified the least respected task in the plant. So much like Jesus. It was like the surgeon emptying a bedpan or a banker cleaning the bank's restroom. This was just one of the many practices I mentioned last week that won the hearts of labor to trust management and thereby end an 84-day strike. Winning the hearts of our kids through the principle of incarnation is especially important as they reach their teen years when their adolescent task is to push away from us, their parents, Always being interested in your child's world communicates that he or she matters to you. In a collection of stories written by Christians who look back at what their parents did right, a woman named Jan Commanda points to this relentless interest of her father and mother in how their day went. She says, as little kids, we fought to sit on dad's knee while he and mom drank their coffee talking about what had happened that day. Coffee conversation was the first order of business when dad came home from work as a carpenter. This tradition was continued when, as grade school children, we spent our first moments at home talking with mom. In high school, that became, for some of us, a coffee time lasting almost until supper. The second incarnational principle that impacts our mission is that getting into the world of our followers amplifies our influence in their lives. The third principle is that the incarnation provides wisdom for disciplining our children. Entering into our child's world when she is about to face painful discipline is especially important to keep the discipline from embittering her. Paul warns the fathers in Colossae, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Loving discipline requires two component parts that may appear contradictory, but are not. They need to be kept in balance. The first is firm, consistent punishment for wrong behavior. 
Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 13.24 The second is compassion. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. If compassion for our children causes us to repeatedly give in to the child, allowing her to escape the consequences of her irresponsible behavior, we will turn her into a self-centered monster, crippled for life because she thinks the world revolves around her. But if we firmly discipline without compassion for the pain that our discipline brings to her, we will have created a wounded spirit that may lead to rebellion. Here is an example from Boundaries with Kids of how to get this balance right. No, Kathy, you can't go to the movies today. You have to do your chores first. That's not fair. Marsha's going. I hate your stupid rules. I know it's frustrating when you don't get to go to the movies again, but I want to go today. You don't even care. I know you're frustrated and angry. It's tough to have to work before you have fun. I feel that way too sometimes. I hate living here. I don't ever get to do anything. I know. It's hard to miss the movies when you really want to go. Well, if you know so much about how I feel, then let me go. I know you want to. It's tough, but the answer is no. But if I miss this one, there won't be another sneak preview this summer. That's sad. That's a long time to wait. I can see why you hate missing it so much. But the answer is no. The compassion might be a little forced here, but you get the point. The third incarnational principle that affects how we accomplish our mission is that successful discipline keeps the limit consequences in place, but empathizes with the pain of the one receiving the punishment. The fourth way that the principle of incarnation impacts our mission is that kingdom expansion is accomplished through emptying ourselves. The kingdom expands not by military might and imposing moral values from above as Islam does with Sharia law. In contrast, the Christian story is of a God who comes down from the heights of absolute being and glory into time and space, down into humanity, down further into cellular phases of life to become a human embryo. Paul points to the great emptying of God as the model for kingdom discipleship. In Philippians 2, he writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held onto, but emptied himself." By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above any name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Philippians 2, Paul exhorts us to have the same mind that Jesus had, who left his privileges and comforts and deeply involved himself in the human condition. Theological scholar B.B. Warfield explains Jesus as our model. 
He was led by his love for others into the world to forget himself in the needs of others. Self-sacrifice means not indifference to our times and people. It means absorption in them. It means forgetfulness of self in others, unquote. True humility does not think less of oneself, but thinks of oneself less. We repeatedly see the same incarnational truth revealed. Just as Jesus' act of descending to experience every kind of human pain wins our heart, Wayne Alderson won the heart of the chipper and other laborers, and parents need to win the hearts of their teens, incarnational living wins the hearts of those around us. In his book, Ministries of Mercy, Tim Keller writes, The unbeliever is not necessarily moved by seeing Christians serving the theological and psychological needs of others. They cannot understand the action because they do not feel the need themselves. But unbelievers do feel physical needs. When they see Christians feeding the hungry, comforting the suffering, supporting the financially and physically weak, unbelievers see our service. Through this, hearts can be softened to Christ. This is not just a modern theory of communication. The incarnation is the model for it. Paul, in this Ephesians 2 text, identifies two major paths to emptying ourselves. Number one, get rid of the desire for others' respect. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Give God your right to respect, your desire to be well thought of. Number two, get rid of self-preoccupation. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Tell God every detail of your needs and watch Jehovah Jireh, whose name means the Lord shall provide, provide. Then focus on others' needs. And just in case we doubt whether emptying ourselves will actually be worth it, Paul points to Jesus, our model. Because he emptied himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. In short, the challenge of the incarnation to our 2023 mission is to empty ourselves just as Jesus did. To summarize this episode, we observe that as our 2022 race comes to an end over the next few days, it may be a great time to reflect upon the upcoming race marked out for us by our CO in 2023. Since the incarnation is at the heart of Christ's mission to redeem his people and renew creation, we examined four ways the incarnation impacts our mission. First, since the foundation of our mission is being called to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with Him, it is worth meditating on the cost to God the Son to redeem us. That was not only the agony of bearing our sin at the cross, but a decision to restrict His freedom forever being united to human flesh, adjusting to what we needed as lovers do. In our case, we needed a Savior a sinless human who could be our substitute, 
paying the ultimate price for our sin. The second incarnation principle that we examined was incarnational leadership, how spiritual leaders need to do far more than explain truth to our kids. We need to win their hearts to us and to God's truth. Going into their world has great power to turn their hearts toward us and our God. The third incarnational principle is that it is the vital second part of firm discipline. Putting ourselves in the place of our children who are suffering our punishment harms our children if we let that sympathy interfere with consistent punishment for wrong attitudes. But on the other hand, having no compassion while just delivering firm consequences is equally harmful, potentially leading our child to be embittered, which Paul warns against. Our final observation was that the emptying of God the Son to become a human is to always be our model for kingdom advancement. Such emptying of ourselves does not confuse humility with passivity. To the contrary, to empty ourselves is to have more energy to devote ourselves to the interests of others. For further prayerful thought, number one, comment on the principle that when you love someone, you must give up many of your freedoms. How might this thought enrich your understanding of the Incarnation? See your show notes for four additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Some of you have graciously asked how you might support the podcast financially. That would enable us to reach more men with it. In the show notes, there is a link to enable you to make an online contribution should you desire to do so. Next week, we begin a new series entitled Don't Waste Your Life, Rule It for Jesus. We look at practical ways to avoid living an out-of-control life and instead shape 2023 out of our calling from Jesus. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. Thanks for being with us today for today's podcast.